you face many crises in life and uh, you soon learn that that's in fact what life's all about. Life isn't smooth sailing. Uh, your, your character isn't, isn't developed in a crisis, it's simply revealed. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance, Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Evonik, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello, everyone. Today we have Dr. Gordon Spronk, and uh, super excited to chat with him, and uh, we're going to get rolling here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Spronk. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here with you. I appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, so many people know you in the U.S. and around the globe. But for those that don't know, if you can give us some highlight on your journey uh, to this date. Gosh, that's a great question. It, normally, you just give the one-line introduction, right? So you you're, you want the more in-depth version, I assume. Yeah. yeah the, the, yep. You, yeah. You, All you right. Tell me. Hey, born and raised on an, uh, on a farm in southern Minnesota, southwest Minnesota. Uh, educated uh, at Dork College in Sioux Center, Iowa, uh, with all the pre-veterinary work. Uh, educated also at South Dakota State, did some livestock judging and animal science there. And then uh, graduated from the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine in 1981. Many people ask me, well, how did you choose a veterinary career? And one of the important things that people that know me know that I learned the love of agriculture from my uh, father. His father was a farmer, his father was a farmer, his father was a farmer all the way back to Northern Europe for gosh, just many generations, 16 to 20 generations as we can find. So agriculture runs deep in my blood and from my mother, I learned the love of education. My mother was never educated beyond the eighth grade, but made sure that all of her children and her grandchildren had college, if not advanced degrees. So upon graduation from Minnesota in 81, and one of my mentors there was Dr. Al Lehman. Al Lehman uh, uh, at that time was writing that he was the, one of the co-authors of Diseases of Swine, and he really influenced me into pig medicine and aspired the higher goal of uh you know doing something for the industry um at graduation because when i went back to pipestone uh, i joined two other veterinarians and two staff and we can talk about how that's changed over the years um and just became a, a large animal veterinarian and uh i had married my wife uh, debbie we both went to school uh back in the 70s she was a, a nurse and i was a veterinarian I always said to her, it was my best time of my life because she graduated before me and she could work as a nurse. And uh, I always thought being a student and have your wife work, put you through school was like a great, a great time of life. Yes. And uh, so then we uh, raised our family in Pipestone and uh, that business has evolved over the years. And so from a two person veterinary practice, it's evolved into 
now there's four or five main business areas that one is our traditional veterinary uh, services, products and services. And we have six locations uh, in Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, and uh, Illinois. In addition, so that's over 40 veterinarians, over, uh, you know, 150 staff. That's business unit number one. Business unit number two is, is our management services business that many people know as the Pipestone system. So that's over a thousand employees. Um, and uh, we operate in 10 states, uh, nearly, uh, you know, it's over 300,000 sows. Then uh, third is our international services business. So we have operations in China and also in Mexico. And now we're building in Brazil now. So international uh, management services plus uh, 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 Luke Minion and our team led our for our clients the acquisition of Holstone. So that's the Hormel plant in uh, Fremont, Nebraska. So that'd be a fourth business activity. And then lastly uh, is the marketing services. So uh, Big Stone Marketing, we uh, were responsible for uh, marketing the market pigs for our clients. So I think that gives you a little bit of a background. Does that answer your question? It's amazing. The, 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 it, it's what they call a serial entrepreneur, right? Uh, multiple well, businesses and uh, it's amazing the journey. Well, we're, yeah, we're blessed with people that, right. That want to, that we, when we find a need, we meet that need. And then some people call that a serial entrepreneur, right? We, if you see something that needs to be fixed, well then let's go about fixing it. That's exactly right. And what, uh, if you can g give us some insight on, on that, uh, the growth, right? When you're growing these companies, um, what is your uh, highlights on, on the growth uh, of a company, the pains and, and the systems and documenting processes and those well, things? Well, sure. You know, veterinarians love to be consultants, right? And so really a consultant is a, an N of one. So to grow it from one to a staff of over a thousand, there's grow, there's growth pains and you make many mistakes on just the basic things of uh, HR and, and uh, making sure you hire the right people. But so there's pains, right. And, and there's, uh, uh, there's crisis in life, right. Uh, we've had barns burned down. We've had market crashes. We've had, uh, uh, accidents that have resulted in death. Uh, we, we, in the accident that the death of my wife, plus a good friend, Bob Morrison and the wife of, uh, Tom Wetzel, Pam. So you face many crises in life and, uh, you soon learn that that's in fact, what life's all about. Life isn't smooth sailing. Uh, your, your character isn't, isn't developed in a crisis. It's simply revealed. Wow. So yeah, super profound. And, and, uh, isn't, um, you know, uh, I think a Warren Buffett quote says, uh, when, when things go south, you, you know, who, who was swimming naked think I'm thinking more last year when, you know, uh, from more business standpoint, but that's, and another quote that comes to mind is that, uh, stability doesn't really exist. I'm trying to incorporate that, that quote in my mind uh, because exactly. you, you got too excited when things are good and, and, uh, right. And especially with, with COVID, I think it's really, you know, some people would call that a black swan. Some people would call that, but that those kind of events are fairly normal. Yeah. The uh, change is normal. Uh, the, the ability to adapt is, is what's normal. Right. And you mentioned Dr. Bob Morrison. And one of the goals for me here today is, is uh, one of the goals is uh, to honor him. And I want to, dive a little bit into that aspect and also the dive back to pick our brain as well in some other areas here in a little bit. When you think about Dr. Warren Morrison, I guess if you can just bring back, you know, where did you meet him and, and sure. share a little bit. Well, of that. well, Bob was a student of Al Lehman also. So Al was his uh, PhD mentor. If uh, I could say it that way, Bob uh, was from Canada, Bob, uh, joined Al Lehman's swine team uh, and really was his, he had really two really good gifts uh, or maybe three. One good gift was he was a teacher at heart. He really was. A, and, and the good teachers are really one-on-one -on -one mentors. So Bob was a very, very good mentor. 
Second, he he uh, he understood epidemiology. He, he yes, he was a veterinarian, but he all, he was also an epidemiologist. And then third, Bob was very curious. He Bob would see a problem and be curious as to how to solve the problem. And then the fourth, uh, we keep listing them right as they come to mind. He was so good. Uh, he was a collaborator, but he was also good uh, off the podium. And he was good uh, in the meeting as a, with a committee and, and to find resolution and to find leadership. So Bob was a leader. Bob was a teacher. Bob was an epidemiologist. He was a professional veterinarian and he uh, he knew how to uh, uh, he knew how to good, find good in people and he knew how to, to find the right thing to do good. If that makes sense. Yes. And it's quite quite a legacy. And you look at this. Um you know, the, the, the whole thing around um, monetary systems across yes. the industry. That's oh, yes. Yeah. Amazing. And we don't find that in many countries, right? Well, that's, and that's the other skill Bob had. Bob could call it cross cultures. I spent time in barns, as others did, with Bob in other areas. You know, one thing that Bob, uh, we'd, we would laugh about is, is that, you know, the pigs are the same. The pigs are the same whether they're they the, a pig really doesn't know whether it's in Asia or whether it's in Europe or whether it's in South America. So the pigs were the same. It was the people, the caretakers that were different. And to be in a barn and to see across cultures that really the cultural influence was the other skill that Bob had. So whether it was a barn in China or whether it was a barn in Poland or whether it was a barn in uh, in Denmark, the pigs are the same. It was how the, the problem was solved and presented itself was different. And that Bob was very skillful at identifying that and teaching uh, how to solve those problems across culture. I love it. And when you say the pigs are the same, I love that because not many people realize that, you know, genetic companies put hundreds of pigs, uh, pigs in, in boings and fly them. So they are yeah, literally, that's right. literally the same. Yeah, that's right. In uh, the same pigs in our farms in China are the, from the very same source as our pigs in the United States. They're the same pigs. They're exactly the same. Uh, so the genetic potential is the same of 30, let's say 35 to 40 or 50 PSY. The nutritional profile is the same. When you move them across those international borders, the diseases are different, the pathogens are different, the uh, the people how they're 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 handled are different, and the culture of the the staff is different. So, but the pigs, same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and Bob under Bob understood that early on, and that's a valuable lesson uh, that he at least taught me, and I think many others. I love it. And let's see here if you. Well, if Bob could could write uh, uh, on a billboard uh, to everyone around the globe to see it, what do you think uh, he would write on that billboard? Gosh, well, he always went by, you know, always, you see it on my social media, always teach, always learn. There's pieces of that that were Bob to always uh, to keep learning, right? Mm -hmm. To keep understanding and then teach, then teach someone else what you you learned uh, i think the other thing he would uh, talk about the billboard that's so that's one billboard uh, the second billboard might be to say listen still make sure you have some fun right so enjoy the people you're with enjoy what you're doing and uh ha have some fun I, I think he was also uh you know i remember some of the first times i uh dealt professionally with bob it was with uh, pseudorabies and bob was you know, one of the professional epidemiologists on the elimination of that pathogen from the U.S. herd, because there was many controversies along the way of vaccine use and which vaccine to use and how to, you know, the sampling methods and all the same lessons that are now applicable to pick a pathogen, whether it's PERS here in the United States or whether it's ASF now in China or in other countries where it's active. Bob would be all over studying and understanding, well, how does the pathogen move? How do we, how do we detect it? And what interventions should be put in place that are best for the pig and best for the owner of that pig, right? So solve the problem on the farm rather than looking at the big picture of the industry. But we want that too, right? Mm -hmm. Because what's, what's, what's important on the farm will eventually become important for what's in the industry. 
but solve that producer's problem, whether it's a producer in the United States with PERS or mycoplasma or pseudorabies back in the day, uh, or whether it's uh, the pathogens uh, in Asia or in Europe. Very good. And would you be able to tell me if, was there something that Bob was very strong about that he would disagree with most people in the industry? Just something that he was like, boy, we need, this is some philosophy or something that would come to mind or, or no, it's okay. Well, he would be sensitive and be adamant about sharing of data, which mm-hmm. I remember when the, the Bob Morrison project started, I mean, no one, no one had thought of that. No one, could collaborate and you know it really comes down to building trust right if i'm going to share my data with with you or some other farmers or other producers it has to be based on trust trust on how the data is handled trust on how the data is shared and trust on how the data is analyzed so bob was adamant about that sharing because it was we talked about this many times it's it's the tragedy of the commons right so if as an example if uh you know if there's only so many fish in the ocean and no, there's no rules well then soon the fish are gone and so but we all share if we treat that resource that way well you could argue that a disease and the health of a herd is a tragedy of the commons in other words what i have if i have pers I have the potential of giving that to everybody else in the industry. So Bob was adamant about open and open and transparent sharing and, and uh, building trust between farms because then that builds an industry based on trust. He was pretty adamant about that. And you know, that's human behavior that, well, still to this day, you, uh, I was just uh, on a call, I think last Friday, where one of the, the tragedies was, is that there wasn't sharing an honest and open uh, uh, sharing of data and status. Wow. Yes. I love, I love, yeah, I love that the topic. And I think that's one of the reasons that I, I'm not aware, uh, you might be aware of any similar system, uh, monitoring system in other countries, but I'm not aware to any. Well, the, there are governments who would claim they have a monitoring system. I mean, oh, you could, you could trickle it all the way up to OIE at the international level. They would say they have a monitoring system, but that's, right. that's, not, that's yeah. based on reported data uh, much after the fact. The monitoring system Bob's talking about is real-time live data that helps the farmer make a decision on his farm, not at the government level, but you want that too, right? Mm -hmm. If it's really good data that's helping at the farm level, well, then it's going to help at the government and at the international level also. I love it. And uh, now thinking about the biggest lessons uh, that you have had on uh, pig production, and also pig health. If you can just highlight for us, you know, what are those few things that really drive? So, I mean, I know of I mean, your system has amazing performance and I, I know a little bit of Mexico unit of, of Pipestone has phenomenal performance, something never seen before, I think in Mexico almost. So what are the key things that drive the, the, the performance in production and health? Yeah. Gosh, first of all, thank you. Uh, we've got a great team and they, uh, they, they perform very well. So that you have to compliment the people taking care of the pigs uh, for those data. So a couple of things, one of the, and a matter of fact, on my own farm, right? I, I have to apologize to my own family members, my brother and say, you know, I, I failed early on to not recognize the value of disease elimination. In other words, the common veterinary approach is to treat it or to vaccinate for it rather than have a strategy to eliminate it. And so the big picture, right, at the international level, the U.S., and we should never forget this, especially our U.S. uh, uh, producers, but this is also a lesson worldwide. The U.S. swine herd does not have foot and mouth disease. It was that pathogen was eliminated by grandpa in uh, the 20s and 30s. The U.S. swine population does not have all cholera. That was eliminated by my father's generation in the 60s and 70s. The U.S. swine herd does not have pseudorabies. That was eliminated by my generation in the uh, 70s and 80s. And so those are three key pathogens that are eliminated from the national herd. And so it's very necessary to compare that to herds that 
national herds that haven't eliminated and live with those, those pathogens, there's a key difference. And there's a key value there, right? So now applying that same logic then at the, not at the national level, but at the, at the local level, we have swine her sow herds with no, uh, no PERS. We now have sow herds with no mycoplasma. Well, as you keep eliminating these pathogens, it becomes more and more apparent the value to the farm and to the farm owner, the value of that, that status, right? That's the old Nebraska, you know, SPF system, right? Where you would only buy seed stock. And this is really the pressure for the future for the gen genetic companies. The demand will be for in the future, fewer and fewer pathogens that naturally come along with the, the guilt, right? One of the key key decisions back in the late 80s, early 90s was buy gilts with no purrs. Mm -hmm. Well, the future is gonna be, well, I want my gilts with no, fill in the blank here now, right? Mm -hmm. I want I want gilts or boars with no strepsus or no parasus or no actinobacillus sus or just fill in the blank. And I think that genetic companies are gonna be more and more under pressure because most of these pathogens, they come along with the, the stocking uh, of the herd. So right. I don't know if that answered your questions. It was a long, we went, we went a long ways there, but uh, hopefully it, it answered your question. It does, yeah. Uh, eliminating the disease and try, instead of trying to live it, with it. And mm -hmm. when you look at PD, for example, right, there's pretty good sections of the industry that are pretty clean. What's your That's thoughts exactly there? That's exactly well, with PED. That that virus should be eliminated. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no reason to live with that virus. That 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 is a uh, having seen it in the United States and having dealt with it in Asia, it's a devastating virus. It, it at its worst, it kills 100% of the neonatal pigs under 10, day, 10 days of age. It's an economic. Uh, it's a devastating virus, and it's not that hard and difficult to clean up just follow some appropriate protocols. We've eliminated that virus from many uh, of our herds, both in Asia and in the United States. So I understand why people are making the decision. I would just choose to disagree with their decision to live with it. Interesting. No, it's certainly a polemic topic, but it makes total sense what is said. Um, now, if we go to more the, the business side of pig production, what do you think are the, the high points there? Why do you see, we see many producers once in a while, um, you know, going bankrupt? What are some important steps to try to minimize the risk of bankruptcy as well? Well, grandpa taught there's, there's two basic ways to be successful in agriculture. Number one, cost containment. We're in a commodity business when you're at the farm side. So you need to know your costs and you need to know them in real time. So with good software now and even good apps, you, you can know exactly what your cost of production is at the sow farm level. You can know it at the wean to finish level. You can know exactly. So good business means you, you just need to have a good uh, understanding of cost control. But then at the same time, added to that, see, grandpa really didn't worry about his balance sheet so much because land was his biggest asset. The pigs helped pay for the land. And then when he retired, he had, a, he had some land he could sell and go into town. Well, today it's much more complicated than that, right? You need to understand not only the, your, your P&L sheet, but you need to understand your balance sheet. You need to understand how you're deploying capital. You need to understand that if you're in agriculture, gosh, maybe you should diversify a little bit. Maybe it should be more than just land and pigs. Maybe it should be land, pigs, and now again, fill in the blank but at least understand not only the cost containment, but add to that, you need to understand your balance sheet, which then leads to the second thing grandpa always taught. He said, well, listen, you have to make it through the bad times. Or another way to say it, when the sun is shining, that's when you make hay, right? You make hay when the, or to say it another way, if you're gonna get hit by the luck truck, you better be out in the street, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah if you're going to hit the high pig markets, whenever they come, they do come, well, then you need to make sure you've got some pigs for sale. So risk management, right, is a very, uh, that grandpa didn't worry that much about risk management because we have millions of dollars now uh, that's at stake. You need to have the appropriate risk management. So 
there's a number of important points there, right? Cost containment, understanding your costs, balance sheet management, in addition to uh, just making sure that you've got, you know, some risk deployment that you make sure that when the good times come, make sure you're there to celebrate the good times, meaning that you need to get through the bad times. You need to get through a, a 2008. You need to get through a 1998. You need to get through a COVID crisis, right? Where you literally can't deliver your pigs to a packing plant. Well, you have to have, you know, it, it, the pig business is not an easy business. It's a very complicated, it's simple, right? You breed the sour gilt and she pharaohs in 113 throughout uh, three months, three weeks, and three days later. And then, you know, about six months later, they're at market weight. That's simple. It's the complexity of the relationships in the business now that uh, make this a very high risk business around the world, around the world. I love it. And it, uh, any insights on the fact that when the market is good, people want to expand versus Right. Well, that's the way grandpa and dad did it, right? When when you were good at it, when the market's high, you always made more pigs. And that's that seasonality continues yet to this day, right? We have too many pigs in the spring and the fall, and we have not enough pigs in the summertime when there's good markets. Some of that's the seasonality that's been there since grandpa bred them in the spring and farrowed them in the fall and bred them in the fall and farrowed them in the spring. And that seasonality can so that seasonality has been flattened out, but now, what, what you need to be very careful of is as well, maybe that risk, uh, uh, you should understand, uh, you know, what, what is your market? Who are you selling your pigs to? And uh, uh, the, the day when you simply expand, maybe think about, well, as a good step, well, maybe own your own feed mill, because that might be a dollar. You as a nutritionist should know that, right? Mm -hmm. That could be anywhere from one to five dollars mm -hmm. per pig. Or maybe you want to own your own trucking company or maybe and then just go up the line. Right. So our farmers are very we're land based far. Their biggest asset is land versus a Wall Street company. Their biggest asset is their their balance sheet. Right. Well, so it's then it's just a, what's the fair splitting of the margins, right? And so the farmer, the constant struggle has been, well, they're gonna climb up the chain based on land and Wall Street's gonna climb down the chain because they're based on the, they own the brand, they uh, have the packing plant and they need the source of pigs. And that's where the tension is. And that's where, you know, that's where capitalism uh, is successful because the, the best one wins at the end of the day. Right. I love it. And um, one question here on, uh, well, so as I understand you, you were the chairman, right? Of the board, which, yes. which yes. I have some question there. Is yeah. that, do I understand yeah. correctly that you're transitioning to retirement? Yes. Uh, uh, yes. So on, uh, uh, we've had a succession plan for many years that we've had in place. And so uh, I just celebrated my birthday here in January 10. And so I turned 65 and that trigger, that was a trigger event that we had planned for a long time. So uh, that trigger event was I sold my ownership in Pipestone, stepped off the board and uh, we named Luke Minion is the new uh, chairman of our board and then named new class A members uh, that will hold the votes at our board. So we have a, uh, our organizational structure is we have uh, over nearly 20 owners now. Uh, of those owners, uh, four have the controlling votes. And so we named those new controlling shares and then named a new board of directors. So it's really a, a philosophy of how to, to uh, guard the company, uh, then guide the company and then grow the company. So the class A members would guard the company to make sure that the company stays on its true mission and its vision. And then you have uh, the board of directors would, as most boards would, would guide. And then you got to have the people that'll get in there and grow the company. So that's your, your executive team and your senior leaders to actually go out and implement every day. So yes, that change just occurred here in the month of January. So uh, help us understand uh, what is the role, just curiosity here on my end, what is the role of a chairman there mm -hmm. on the board? Well, well uh, two or three things. First of all, they better know how to run a meeting. <laughs> it's kind of simple, right? They, so the simple things of organizing a good meeting to make sure that, uh, 
uh, the agenda is set to make sure that the appropriate topics are, are there to really one of the roles is, especially as an entrepreneur, you have a tendency as a board to get into the day to day operations. Well, a good board doesn't do day to day operations. A good board sets direction. A good board gives direction to the executive team because it's their job to go out and, and uh, implement. And a good board chairman would, would and, and trust me, I've made this mistake many times of, of uh, you know, we have a tendency to get operational right away. That's not a board's job. A board's job and a good chairman's job is to stay out operations. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, you know, you, you make sure the board's job is to hire the good executive team. So you could argue one of your the run a good meeting and hire a good executive, and then you've you're on your pathway of at least being a good board chairman. Hopefully, I haven't failed. Very cool. Very 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 insightful <laughs> there. Yes. Yeah. And, and now transition to retirement. I'm always curious yeah. there on on you know sure uh, thoughts uh, philosophies or what's going over your mind now? Well, there's two or three things that I think if I could counsel anyone, one is finish well, right? When you're in your last laps, it's much like the races I'd watch my son when he was a college or an, and a high school runner, he'd hand the baton off, right? And he'd have to run the last two or three laps. So make sure you run through the tape, right? I see so many people, right? They well, they're finishing, but they didn't finish well, and they didn't run through the tape, if you will. And then the second thing is, is that I think when you reach retirement, especially if, as you do use the words now, serial entrepreneur, it's not what you move from, it's what you move to, right? And candidly, uh, I still, well, Luke and the rest of the team have still allowed me to be, uh, while my K-1 is gone, I still have a W-2. So mm -hmm. I still have a job. Uh, you could argue uh, I, I'm not retired. I'm just, uh, as my daughters say, I'm in retreat, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. I haven't figured out what that means yet. I'm in <laughs> retreat. But, you know, I, I think it's important to then go find the next thing. And so I've been given wide berth by uh, uh, Luke and the rest of the board members to go figure out what that is. So I'm still involved. I still have some clients. I still do international work. I was on a call to Asia this morning. They occur uh, with, with frequency. I'm still involved with charity work. Uh, as you may or may not know, Pipestone, we're active both uh, domestically and internationally. We've, we've done international projects, both orphanages, schools, uh, internationally. So uh, candidly, uh, while I'm curious as what will happen in my future. I'm not anxious about it. Hopefully my, uh, my demeanor right now would betray that, that, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Well, you never know. I might, Hey, I might go work for you. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'll well, go work for you. Yeah. We're going to talk after the call. Uh, yeah. We'll talk offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now back to the uh, philanthropy. I mean, that's amazing. What do you guys yeah. do there? Um, any words for everyone when it comes to the just the power of philanthropy? Yeah, it's first of all, it's so poorly taught. It you really have to search, you know, it's the always learn, always teach. So you have to be purposeful in finding someone who uh, has built a life around giving and it's true. It's better to, to give than receive. Right. But you know what I, and others in, in our business, we've been so blessed that, uh, you know, much has been given much is expected in return. And so, you know, there, there's nothing more fulfilling than, uh, one of the things we use internally is time, talent, and treasure right? It's easy to write a check. That's the treasure. You know, if you, if any of you or your listeners or go to church, right? When the collection plate comes around, it's pretty easy to put a, whatever amount you want to put in. But I, I found what's more fulfilling and, and this has been taught well by our team. It's also use my talents, right? If I'm talented in like pig medicine, maybe or animal medicine or understanding food, maybe I should use that talent. And then lastly, it's the time. It's one thing to write the check. It's another thing to have a talent. It's a third thing and a final thing to actually make the commitment that you actually go do something. 
and that'll probably be on the billboard. We'll get back to that when you finally, <laughs> when you finally ask me that question again. There, there might be something about, you know, cool. go take a, go go actually go do something. Right, take mm-hmm. make a decision and go do something. I love it. I love yeah. it. Amazing and. And it's, you know, I I don't think I want to get political here, but it's interesting, you know, capitalism, despite not being a perfect measure, that's, I think, where it ties all back together when it connects with, you know, philanthropy on that aspect, you know. Well, one of the things, again, back to way back to Bob, what I really appreciated, Bob, was sometimes we, we get so tied up in our culture, we don't even realize that we're tied up in culture, right? When as an individuals, we can rise above culture, right? A fish, you can't have a fish describe water because fish has never been out of water. He saw it, it's so close to them that they, so sometimes in our own cultures and you yourself, if, if you have some exposure, I don't know the depth of it, but to other cultures, right? And sometimes we don't even realize it at, at, as a, and what's one of the benefits of the career I never thought I would see, imagine a small town farm boy from Southern Minnesota basically been not in all the cultures of the world, but in many of the cultures of the world, in Asia and South America and Europe, and to be have that ability to see the differences in culture. Sometimes we don't even understand why we behave the way we do. And most of it's because we've been taught that way. And the culture continues to influence how we behave. And so in pig medicine, we can rise above that because the pig again doesn't really care what culture it's in it just wants the basics of life of food water and a warm place to sleep super interesting and, and that remembers me of one story about uh one one guy that i follow his podcast and he was mentioning that um he asked the question i think he was living in singapore um american guy living in singapore he asked you know how many people here in school or college want to be entrepreneur no ask no no one raised the hand and then he was like well you know if you ask that question in california or something everyone will, will raise their hands so back to your fish inside the the water cannot describe the water type of thing it's it's amazing right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very cool few more questions before we go back to the billboard um sure I want to get your insights on the future here of big production, sure, right? Sure. What do you see? What do you see coming? Well, I, I think we, we pointed to it a little bit earlier. I think in North America and many other uh, uh, countries, the, the future is in pathogen elimination. So at the farm level, more and more pathogen elimination. Second, we're going to use fewer and fewer antibiotics to the point that we can now raise groups of pigs, uh, whether we not really for the no antibiotics ever, but just because we can, because it costs money and it's better for the pig. It's just the right thing to do. So lowered use of antimicrobials, whether or not you agree or disagree with resistance and everything, but we're just going to, our pigs are going to be healthier in the future because we've eliminated more and more pathogens. In addition, I, I think uh, the way we raise them is going to change. Uh, you know, in my generation, we took them from outside in my grandfather's a huts on a pasture of alfalfa, put them inside first in a pen, then decided that didn't really work that well, then put them into a stall because that actually worked pretty good. And now we're going to take them out of that stall because that's what our consumer wants. So we're going to put her back into a pen, but we know more about how to raise that sow in a pen and probably can come pretty close, you know, to our performance in a pen versus a stall. And even now we're even going to then, if you go all the way, again, whether you agree or don't disagree with California and Prop 12, well, now it's just more square foot and no stall, more square foot per, per animal and no stalls at all. So the way we raise the animal is going to change uh, in the future. And it may be, we could argue whether it's, you know, better or worse, but for sure, we're, we're going to know it's going to be different. And it'll be the good stockman, the good herd person is going to raise that animal with fewer pathogens, is going to raise that animal uh, in di- a different housing, and is going to uh, you know, the successful ones, not only will they raise a, a product, right, with higher quality, right? It, you can go right down to the, your local grocery store, I'm sure where you're at or where your listeners are at, and your local steak is going to sell for between uh, 8 to $25 a pound, depending on whether you choose choice or prime. 
and a pork chop will pretty consistently between two to three dollars a pound. Well, at some point, if we get a better pork chop and a better loin, the consumer may choose that if it would have the same quality, because look at the cost difference on that protein source. There's a big opportunity for how we uh, educate our consumer on how to eat a good pork chop, a good bone-in pork chop, hard to beat if it's prepared properly. Yes, it, it's it's... We have an amazing product, right? We have an amazing product and it's very competitively priced. Right. And one curiosity that I have is, or something that I'm trying to wrap my head around is around the fact of when there's a new trend, if you, let's say, raised without antibiotics or, you know, whatever the new trend it is and that the, and the market is paying a little more for it, where's the end point? Meaning... If you're early on that adoption, you get some extra revenue, but then sure. after that, that's the norm. So no, sure. no one, no sure. one else gets extra revenue, right? Yep. What is that end point? Uh, it's probably a completely different industry. Completely, if we go twenty could, years could, from now, it right? Could be a, yeah, it could be a completely different industry. Uh, well, it already from my grandfather's time is a completely different industry, right? My grandfather uh, raised them in A-frames only raised two sets of pigs per year, spring and fall, uh, would load 10 of them up into a pickup and take them to the stockyards and receive a check cash uh, for these pigs. And then that guy would broker them to maybe four or five different packing plants. Well, that's, look how many things are gone, right? The A-frames are nearly gone. Uh, if not gone, at least in the United States. I, I'm not sure the last time I saw one in Minnesota or, or the Midwest. I'm not aware that anybody uses their pickup anymore to uh, they're all delivered in, in uh, semi load lots of hundred and depending on the weight, 165 to 185. Uh, they're delivered directly to the packing plant. Now the packing plant is a double shift plant that uh, has all the modern, you know, how they, the, the stun and the chill, the chills are now all the, the high, you know, sudden quick chills. So the product quality is so much better than it was. And so it already is a different industry than my grandfather. And in the next generation, it will be a different industry. Right. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I love it. And then finally, I guess, uh, uh, any any other insights when it comes to consumer perception and you know everyone is getting their diet recommendation on Instagram and TikTok these days and any 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 concerns there when it comes to to that? Well, I don't know about concerns, but it's awareness, right? That the information uh, that's out there and you know. Our con my grandchildren are being educated way different than I was educated or my children were educated, right? You're, we're in a constant battle every day when they come home from school of what they were taught to what they're going to learn on TikTok or what they're going to learn on Twitter. And so parenting may be more important than anything, right? And how not only how we teach our children and grandchildren, but also how we become consumers, right? And so we already see with the current administration that uh, climate change and carbon credits will be a big thing for the next generation of pig farmers specifically. And so will the consumer demand a carbon neutral pig? Probably. And I honestly, I would, I'd be bold enough to think that's probably, probably attainable and probably the right thing to do, right? Uh, if we do the right thing for the pig, and we do the right thing for the environment, well, how can that be bad? Mm -hmm. how, we shouldn't fight that, we should embrace that. And when it comes to carbon neutrality with the pig, it, it all comes down to the corn. And then you know this as a nutritionist, it comes down to how that corn was raised and how those soybeans or the protein source was raised. And that comes down to the tillage practices. And, you know, grandpa farmed horses, right? So the future my next generation on our family farm, right? I can apply that right down to our, our level was, well, the, let's think about those tillage practices. Let's think about how that impacts, you know, how they're gonna take their land. And, and there's nothing new here about generational transfer of land, especially in the United States where that's 
owned by individuals. You're simply a steward of that land for a short period of time, and then you pass it on to the next generation. Well, why would you possibly want to pass it on in less or a diminished state? If I'm going to pass on a new pickup or a pickup or a truck, I'm not going to have the fender dented or I'm not going to have the seats. No, no, I'm going to pass it on all shiny and in good working condition so the next generation can do even better than I did with it. Amazing. I love it. Dr. Sprong, back to the billboard now. Oh, if, back to the billboard. Any insights? Well, here, here's, I think I have to declare to you, and we didn't talk about this, but I just wrote a paper for AASV. Uh, this spring, they're going to have me uh, give a short presentation on uh, crisis management. And and I list 10 books there. So you normally, I think you ask your 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 guest to list one book. Well, I've got 10 for you. Oh, we're got and we're going to get the books here shortly. We will. Will. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think what I would say on the billboard is, is, is uh, I think it, it says, it, it would say something along the lines with faced in a crisis, make a decision, take action and take responsibility. But the point is do something, right? Don't sit there wringing your hands and the woe is me. No, no, no. Use it as an opportunity to take action. I love it. I, uh, one of our values here is a bias for action. Bias yeah, for action. A bias for action. And I think that there's something agricultural about that. On a farm, you have to take action, right? When the, when the hay or the corn is ready to be harvested, well, you should maybe go harvest. Or when the land, uh, the soil is ready to be planted, maybe you should plant, right? right? So take the appropriate action in the appropriate season. Very insightful there. Very good. Anything else before we jump on those three questions that I ask every guest, Dr. Sprung? Uh, no, go ahead. It is time to our famous three. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies, setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, learn more at Minitube.com. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operations. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. All right. First one is the your favorite pig-related book. My favorite. Well, that would have to be Diseases of Swine, right? Mm -hmm. There. Oh, are we on to like uh, how many editions now? So eleven, I think. Yeah. I think it's eleven or twelve. Yeah. Well, whatever I say will be wrong, so we should just look <laughs> it up. Yeah. <laughs> cool. How yeah. about a book outside of agriculture? Yeah. I, so again, that's the book list. It's going to be published uh, at AASV. There's 11, there's 10 plus a bonus book. So uh, those books, uh, and I just happen, I'll, I'm going to, I can't do it from memory. So I'll just read okay, the document please, here. Please. There, it, it, so the, so uh, there's three books on sort of what I would call your spiritual side. Uh, John Ortberg, Soul Keeping, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard, the philosophical foundation of a Christian worldview. Now that one, you better, that, that one, you don't want to put on your nightstand because you may not make it through that. <laughs> that one will make you think. Wow. And then there's three books on uh, just crisis, right? Uh, the, the Lewis and Clark book, uh, Undaunted Courage, the Shackleton book, uh, Endurance, uh, a fascinating story about uh, getting uh, stranded uh, in the, uh, 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 the Arctic. And then third, the, 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 the Louis Zamperini story unbroken, which has been made into a movie. That's a great, all those are true stories. I sold fiction, uh, you know, sometimes not the truth is more powerful than fiction. And then uh, actually uh, four more books on just how to live, right? The, a simple book on that's just been released uh, by Peter Gregg out of England, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. It's a great book on prayer. 
uh, the message by Eugene Peterson. Uh, the, the issue there is it's better to have a guide than a map when you're lost. Uh, Sheldon Van Auken, Severe Mercy, and then C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed. Wow. Those are 10 great books. I love it. And I, I'm not familiar with most of them. So I <laughs> they probably won't be for most of your listeners. They, they would not be in, in pop culture. No. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Very good. We'll check it out when it comes out, the, the full list, even though we have already. Uh, <laughs> and then lastly, Dr. Sprong is what sets apart successful swine professionals from those that are not, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I hear you listen or ask this to other people. I, you know, that's a great question. It, it uh, you know, what, why are some people successful and others? Well, I think we've already alluded to it. First of all, they, uh, they, they make a decision, right? They can take action. So you can be the most brilliant person in the world, but if you fail to take action, the second, I think uh, it's necessary to understand your skills, right? Understand, well, what are you, what, what are you really put here for on this earth? And what, uh, um, what, what is your, where can your skills meet that need? And then lastly, I think it, it's necessary to, to define success. And, you know, sometimes we define success much like you just gave an example of some, no one raised their hand, right? Of of uh, I think it was about philanthropy or how to be successful or an entrepreneur. Well, maybe success, uh, make sure, careful what you aim for, your target, right? And I think the most successful people, I think in the long run will be those that aim for eternity and how they led others into eternity. Now that's the true definition of success. Legacy, right? Yes. I love it. Uh, and I love what it said on uh, careful what you aim for because you might achieve. You actually might hit that target and it might be the wrong target. Exactly. Right. Very profound. And, and uh, not very often I get goosebumps here in the interviews, uh, Dr. Sprong. So I, uh, it's been a joy here having you uh, amazing uh, legacy and the amount of, you know, uh, value that you have added to the, to the industry uh, in the U.S. and around the globe is, is hard to measure. So. Well, thank you for that. You're, and you're doing a good job, right? As a viewer and a listener from afar, you uh, are doing a nice job of bringing some of the important things that the industry needs to talk about, at least having a conversation. So congratulations on your good work. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Now we're going to jump in a quick interview here after the recording. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Sprung. <laughs> I might get a job, yeah. <laughs> yeah I got a job. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week-long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.